What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey everyone, it's Aisha, and guess what? We have another live show coming to you very soon. If you're going to be at the Sundance Film Festival next month, we are putting together a great, exciting live show in collaboration with the Slate Culture Gap Fest. It's happening on January 23rd, 2018, and you can find tickets for the show at slate.com slash live. Look forward to seeing y'all in Park City. The following podcast contains explicit language. I've interviewed and portrayed people who've withstood some of the ugliest things life can throw at you. But the one quality all of them seem to share is an ability to maintain hope for a brighter morning, even during our darkest nights. So I want all the girls watching here and now to know that a new day is on the horizon. And when that new day finally dawns, it will be because of a lot of magnificent women, many of whom are right here in this room tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men fighting hard to make sure that they become the leaders who take us to the time when nobody ever has to say, me too, again. Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome to Represent. I'm Aisha Harris, your host. And I am Verilyn Williams, your producer? <laughs> My producer. Your producer. The, the, the producer. The producer of <laughs> Represent, yes. And we're here today, uh, we've got a great show for you. Yes. But... As you can tell from the clip that you just heard, <laughs> it's been, oh my God. I don't know, a few days and we're still smarting from oh. friggin' Oprah's amazing speech. I, yeah, this is this post-Oprah glow is amazing. <laughs> At the Golden Globes uh, on Sunday, she did give this rousing speech while accepting the Cecil B. DeMille Award at the Golden Globes. And I mean, it was just, it was everything. Oh she 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 name-checked Sidney Poitier, mm. Reese Taylor, mm. who... And Reese Taylor, uh, she died actually just less than two weeks ago um, at the time of this recording. And she was most well known for, in 1944, she was raped, gang raped by six white men. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a black woman. And she, you know, she reported it, but she never got to see her rapist uh, get prosecuted or persecuted. They were never indicted. Mm -hmm. Charges were never brought. So she invoked those types of women, the women who don't usually get their stories told, the women who are not in Hollywood, who are not um, abused or harassed by, you know, famous tech bros yeah. or famous producers. And it was just it was just amazing. So oh never, I haven't cried that hard by myself. You were crying. Okay. I was like, like ugly crying <laughs> because I, I think like. I think this like the way Oprah talks, you just feel seen in a way that no one at her level sees. Like I don't feel seen as much as I feel seen by Oprah. You know, what do you think about everyone asking her to run for president? Uh yeah. <laughs> Look, I love Oprah. I also think that she is more than just, you know, a media mogul. I think she is a very smart woman, I mm-hmm. think. And she also has a lot of connections mm-hmm. that expand beyond media and into politics. At the same time, I think the points that are being made now, uh, 
are smart, the ones that say we have come so low <laughs> in our democracy to the point where now we are just only hoping that a, <laughs> a famous person who doesn't yeah. have like direct political experience can come and save us. And I don't think that's going to be the case. But we look at this point, almost anyone not in the Trump camp would be better than what we have now. So I personally feel like I deserve Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> but I hear you and I hear, you know, what everyone is saying. Yeah. Well, over 2020, we'll see. But that 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 speech was everything. Everything. And in a bit, you'll get to hear a really interesting conversation I had with one of the many, many people Oprah has personally worked with and inspired, Devon Franklin. And he's perhaps best known for producing some faith-based box office hits like Miracles from Heaven, starring Jennifer Garner, and as the husband of actress Megan Good. Megan! <laughs> <laughs> so you'll hear that in a little bit. But first, we just wanted to really quickly, the reason, one of the reasons Verlin is here, decide <laughs> Marilyn's always here. You're always here, but beside me at <laughs> yes, the mic. Yes. Uh, is because we wanted to just, you know, over the holidays, I think like a lot of people, we were catching up with a lot of things that we might have missed earlier in the year. And we wanted to share some of our personal favorites of the things we binged uh, in pop culture mm-hmm. while we were resting and relaxing and all that jazz. So what was one thing that stood out to you, Marilyn? Mm-hmm. What, like what... Or a couple things that you sort of... Yeah, I'm like, I watched and consumed a lot. (laughs) So did I, so did I. (laughs) I mean, one thing that actually isn't necessarily... I mean, it's not a a movie or a TV show, (laughs) but Mogul, um, the Gimlet podcast. Funny enough, I did too. It was... I binged it. So good. Yes. As an 80s baby that grew up listening to Hot 97's Battle of the Beast and Red Alert on Kiss FM in New York City here... Um, where we record in Brooklyn. Um, I just was so interesting to hear the story of Chris Lighty, um, hosted by Comeback Jack, who recently passed away. Um, it was just. And who is Chris Lighty for people? Chris who Lighty, which I now know all about, <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> was a music manager turned Def Jam executive who co founded Violator Records slash management company. And represented the likes of Nas, Mob Deep, Missy Elliott, LL Cool J, 50 Cent, you name it. And I learned how he revolutionized the way music artists even make their money. And what I love most about it is that it centered hip-hop, which I love, in a medium, which obviously I work in and love and like spend all my time doing, which is podcasting and audio. And, you know, we always talk about diversity and representation. And I just feel like it just did it. It wasn't it didn't feel put on. Oh, no, not at all. Well, I think it helps that, uh, you know, Combat Jack, the host, um, whose real name was Reggie Osei, Mm -hmm. um, they in in every like a lot of the people working behind the scenes were also people of color. They were women. Yeah. And I mean, I don't I don't know if it's I don't want to say it's a twist, but I think that. I'm not going to give away the twist yeah, yeah, if, you, yeah. if you're not aware. And it's weird to call it that because it's just like it's someone's a, real life. I think it's a, I mean, it's... It's a sh- it's, And also it's it's something that's... It wasn't shocking to me. It wasn't shocking to me because I operate... And this is something I've been saying a lot. So obviously this is the first time our audience is going to hear me say this. So brace yourself. But I think that most men are terrible people. And so... The idea that someone that you care about, someone that you love, maybe someone in your family has done something terrible is not shocking to me. So when I say shocking, I don't mean what, you know, the things that they discussed are shocking uh, that are discussed on the show. I think it's the fact that they are discussed at all. And with the um, with the care and the sensitivity Mm. towards the subject Mm. that we aren't 
used to hearing. I hear you. And we and this was produced. We were, we and I were just getting caught up with it, but this was produced before all this Me Too yeah. stuff was happening. Yeah. It dropped over the summer yeah. um, of last year. So I think the fact that. You know, this is a move. This is a podcast that was celebrating someone's life, but also wasn't afraid to get into the the negative aspects of that person. Yeah. And Chris Lighty, we also should note, which we haven't noted yet, he is no longer alive. He yeah. the the police ruled it a suicide, although some of his family members uh, dispute that, and people close to him dispute that or have their um, suspicions that something else might have happened. But it was ruled a suicide. So the fact that it dealt with that. That is mm-hmm. something that is often mm-hmm. not discussed in the in the black community, and also you know domestic violence. I think that it handled these things really well, and I that was one of the best things about yeah. that podcast. So everyone should definitely go check it out, go listen to it. So if you haven't guessed, the thing that we are not um, talking about because we don't want to ruin the suspense of it is the way domestic violence comes up in Chris Lighty's life. Yes. Um, okay, so we both consumed that yes <laughs> uh, <laughs> moving to movies and tv i what did i watch so i caught up with uh finally the good place which <gasps> i had started before the holidays but then had to put it on hiatus because the holidays get crazy yeah. and then once you know i had a few days off from work i wound up binging most i finished the first season finally and then caught up with the second season and oh my god (laughs) so that's another show that i think so the good place is uh it's an nbc show nbc yeah but it's on nbc you can watch it all places yeah the first season's on netflix and the second season is currently happening right now and it stars Kristen uh kristen bell who i love and ted danson who is great and a cast of like amazing wonderful people who i'm just seeing for the first time yeah myself anyway i know there are a couple of people who have popped up in other things but it's essentially kristen bell dies and then (laughs) (laughs) winds up at the good place and ted danson's character uh, michael he is sort of the ruler he's not god but he's like the uh he's the 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 or um organizer of their world yeah i guess that's manager yes he's a manager (laughs) of the good place and the good place is like this perfectly nice place it's basically heaven uh for everyone who's good but kristen bell's character was apparently so this isn't a spoiler i believe it happens in like the very first episode where we find out that kristen bell is technically not supposed to be there because she was a terrible person (laughs) in real life and the 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 show the first season really deals with her um everyone gets paired up as well in the in the good place and her the person she's paired up with chidi oh chidi played by william jackson harper harper yes he (laughs) he's amazing chidi is like this he was in the in the uh, the before life. He was a philosophy professor, and he's like really uptight and has a really hard time making decisions. And he's like perfectly goody goody. <laughs> and she, because they're paired up, she like admits to him, "I'm not supposed to be here, so help me be good. Like, how mm. do I make it so that I can stay here and no one finds out?" And it's just a really smart show. <sighs> it's a very, I mean, it's a very inclusive show off the bat. Like you've got Chidi, who is supposed to be West African uh, immigrant or the son of West African immigrants. And you also have the <laughs> continuing this idea of like the Asian dude bro, which I think is great. We haven't had much of, but now we have on both Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and The Good Place, the mm. Asian dude bro, um, Janu, <laughs> who is this like, he's a, he's a monk, he's a Buddhist monk, but 
Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> we don't want to ruin anything for you. No. And then we also have Tahani. Who's, oh, Tahani. <laughs> who, like, in the, is was a famous socialite who likes to name check all of her, her celebrity friends. It's just a great, yeah. great group of ensemble work and everyone works together. It's smart. It's about philosophy. And, you know, I, I just love it. All right. What else? Uh, really quickly, some other things that stood out to you during your binging. Black Mirror. I finally oh, watched how the can we full not talk about that? season of it. I mean, I totally was late to the first three season. Watch season three, episode four. The San Junipero. The San Junipero, because yeah. everyone and their mama was talking about that episode. So when this came out, I was like, I'm going to be early on this. <laughs> and so I binged the, fir- the fourth season and... I was the last episode. Black Museum, hands down, was like, I mean, it was entirely too long. They could have cut out one or two of those vignettes. Um, Just to give you a little bit of the premise, we meet Nish, who seems to be in the middle of nowhere out west, um, who's, you know, because it's futuristic, is charging her car. (laughs) And then she decides to go into this museum. And she gets in there, and the, the museum head is like showing her all these exhibits and telling She's the only one there too. only one there in this like creepy and then he takes her bag in the beginning and i was like don't give him your bag um, <laughs> the whole time i was like girl get out <laughs> i know <laughs> and so we won't ruin it for you but um they're telling he's telling her about all these like science experiments that he's done over the years and all these terrible things that he's done and um there's a twist at towards the end that was i for some reason didn't see coming which in hindsight i probably should have and was very very satisfying yeah that was like one of my least favorite episodes. Uh, I, I I agree that I think that oh, I I liked the theme that it finally got to. It t- it was very. It took a very long time to get to yeah. it. Um, yes, it was a very roundabout way of getting to it. Um, and I appreciated the ending, ex- save for like the final final twist. It's like yeah, that was a lot. It was this too much. But um, I don't know. There's something about it that just felt. It was way more. Uh, over the top or, or blunt than I typically like my messages about these things to be. I also just was not feeling the guy, the the museum owner. His name is Rollo in the episode. He's played by Douglas Hodge. He was doing this weird Paul Lind impression. And Paul Lind, if you don't know who he is, he was he was famous for being a long time. I think he was the center square on Hollywood Squares in like the <laughs> 70s and 80s. Uh, and, and he was also on Bewitched. And oh, Bye okay. Bye Birdie. Okay, and he yeah. coded as very, he had this like, he talked like, well, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just, it was just a little over the top for like something that seemed so serious and turned out to be mm. so serious. Um, yeah, I was not a fan of that. I, I Overall, this whole season of Black Mirror is just kind of not feeling that much, save for two episodes. Well, what I liked about it is that it, because, you know, a lot of times in the future, you know, all of a sudden, race is not an issue, right? Um, another thing I caught up with was um, the Will Smith Netflix. Right. Sh- right. <laughs> I yeah. I think I'm giving up on Will Smith for we're a gonna, while. Gonna, <laughs> I've watched his last few movies and they have been <laughs> terrible. Well, somebody was making the point that because of the Oscars thing that him and his wife... Um, Jada Pickett Smith, like they're they're protesting against the Oscars, then maybe he's being blackballed in Hollywood. That was two years ago, I think. Yeah. Yes. Two Oscar in twenty sixteen when Chris Rock hosted. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, how true that is, but yeah. I used to shaking her head no. No. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so like yeah, usually in these futuristic, you know, depictions 
race becomes this thing that is like not a thing, right? Like everything else is the problem except for racism. And so what I liked about that and is even though that second to last twist was a lot, it just also showed just how race relations get amped up even in this futuristic world, right? And so like how terrible it, it actually becomes for people of color. And so I kind of, I mean, even though it was depressing AF, but it was also like satisfying to see that depicted. Yeah. Um, but also we can't I can't like not talk about um Michaela, Michaela Cole in the first episode, the USS Callister um episode and um dancing with the DJ or Hang the DJ. Hang the DJ. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Those two also highly recommend them. Yeah, those were my favorite of those. The last thing is I think that my favorite thing that I consumed and one of my favorite things that I finally caught up with was The Shape of Water, which... Oh, I haven't seen that yet, but you, well, mean, the Golden Globes, they show, showed a lot of I clips know. of it. So it, listeners might remember when I interviewed Greta Gerwig back in uh, back in the fall, late fall, um, she raved about, uh, as her represent, she raved about Shape of Water. I hadn't seen it yet, mm-hmm. and now I have, and I loved it. Now, I do have caveats. I do think that Octavia Spencer is very underused, but that's mm-hmm. like the story of her life. Mm-hmm. It's very annoying. Uh, and she is getting a lot of Oscar buzz, so it seems like she has a good shot at getting nominated. But like, come on. I wish <laughs> I wish her character had been more fully fledged out. Uh, but I do think that overall, like the uh, the weirdness of this movie, the tenderness of this movie, the visuals are amazing. Sally Hawkins is great. Uh, it's I just really liked it and I really appreciated it. And I think it was really beautiful and everyone should see it. Oh, wow. Yeah. OK. That, I that's will. It. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, those are some of the things we consumed. Let us know what you consumed, your favorite things over the holiday break in our Facebook page or email us at represent at slate.com. Yes. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You spoke to God? Yeah, but it was different. It was like it was like you could talk to each other without really saying any words. You know? Up next, last fall, Devon Franklin and I discussed something we haven't talked about much on the show, but that plays a significant part in representation in Hollywood nonetheless, the faith-based market. Franklin's early career began when he was a studio exec at MGM and later Columbia, overseeing such films as The Pursuit of Happiness, Jumping the Broom, and The Karate Kid Remake. In recent years, he's written several books about his faith and how it ties into his work in film, including The Weight, which he co-wrote with his wife, actress Megan Good. During our conversation, we discussed his latest book, The Hollywood Commandments, A Spiritual Guide to Secular Success. And we also discussed the subtle ways in which movie studios attempt to engage faith-based audiences with ostensibly secular films. Check it out. Well, Devon, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here all the way from uh, L.A. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you wrote a new book. It's called The Hollywood Commandments, A Spiritual Guide to Secular Success. And... 
In the first, in the introduction, actually, you write rather boldly, I would say, <laughs> um, that <laughs> the church didn't teach me how to be successful. Hollywood did. And throughout the book, you're, you're pretty critical, um, not too harsh, but you're critical of the, the Christian church for not espousing more practical teachings that can work in concert with faith and that you can, in a way where you can bring both real-world practical experiences to your more personal life and to your faith. And I'm curious as to what are the things, you don't touch on it too much in, in the book, but like what are some of the things that you think the church could be doing more in this regard? Are there any sort of programs that could be happening or ways to incorporate this uh, more practical advice into sermons and teachings? Like what do you think that the church could be doing to maybe bridge that gap? Yeah, you know, I don't think that the church is— um a one-stop shop. So I actually don't think that the church is is designed, nor necessarily should it be designed, to try and fill every need or bridge the gap. What I believe is that there should be um, a, a valuation. Like, I think what happens is in church, church just says, oh, you know, what we do in the church is the way to go. And they don't really say, hey, no, you can actually learn a lot from where you work. You can learn a lot from secular environments. So to me, it's just more of reducing the teaching that produces fear um, so that so many people of faith, when they go into secular environments, they aren't necessarily looking to figure out what the value is. They only think that there's value, you know, in the church. So I wouldn't necessarily say that there need to be programs in churches across the country to bridge the gap. I think it's more of a philosophical and holistic change so that there isn't this, you know, fear and that people of faith feel more empowered and feel like they have the permission to pursue those secular ambitions and also to be in those environments and take out of those environments what may be a value for their own personal life as well as their professional life. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about secular uh, or when you define secular, do you mean as a, as though um, anything that you're doing, like Hollywood, for example, that is not necessarily about the church or directly connected to the church? Correctly. Correctly. I mean, in mm -hmm. any environment that doesn't necessarily, I mean, there's nothing spiritual about it per se. Right. You know, it can be a place where you can bring spirituality, but but the, the DNA of that environment uh, you know, has no religious or spiritual basis. Right. And I mean, you talk about in the book, you're, like you said, not feeling necessarily supported by your decision to go into Hollywood when you decided to do that um, by people within your church um, saying, you know, like, that's the place where the devil resides. That's where bad things happen. <laughs> uh, but like, aside from the church, how did your family feel about you going into entertainment? Um, you know, some were supportive. Others were skeptical. Uh, you know, I mean, um, I mean, I was always pretty, pretty headstrong as a kid. So once I kind of made my mind up, you know, they knew that there wasn't much they could say that was going to make me feel differently. Um, so, you know, some, some were like cautiously like, okay, well, if that's what you feel like you need to do, um, you know, we'll support you. And then others were a little more like, well, okay, well, go, go for it. Um, you know, but there definitely was not a general consensus of support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you do you have that support now that you're you're actually su successful? Or? Oh, I think that always happens. You know, once you go do it and uh, and it starts to work, then everybody's like, oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> we love it. So, yes, I certainly have that support now without question. I think it, it helps. A lot of the work you're producing is either very faith-based or faith-based adjacent. Like you've produced, you've helped with the pursuit of happiness. Um, you've also done, you know, Miracles from Heaven, those sorts of movies. But 
are there are there any sorts of scripts you've had the opportunity you've been presented with the opportunity to produce that went against your beliefs and you turned them down or like what does that look like for you like what is a script that you wouldn't want to produce look like that would go against what you believe or is, does that affect it? Every producer, you know, has a brand um, for the most part, I, I would argue, you know, and what happens is when you have that brand, you're always, you know, weeding through the projects that align with the brand and those projects that don't. You know, people like Jason Blum, who incredibly successful at Blumhouse, you know, his model is that low budget, high concept horror. Um, right. You know, Will Packer, who has, you know, Will Packer Productions is, you know, his model is, um, you know, um, modestly budgeted urban films, you know, with commercial appeal. And so for me, you know, it's a very similar thing where it's like, you know, I want to make I am making uplifting content, you know, content that is, quote unquote, faith based, you know, that is lower budgeted, but, you know, high quality and universal. So with any of us, when you look at how we decide projects, it just comes down to, you know, what fits with what we do. Um, you know, having been in Hollywood for 20 years, you know, and having, you know, been able to interact with so many different producers, uh, incredibly successful producers and, you know, producers I aspire to be successful like one day. You know, what I have noticed is in order for a producer to be successful, you got to focus. And so I employ that exact same idea. You know, I focus on what I do well. And there are a lot of great projects out there. But if they don't align, you know, with the brand, I just don't do them because it's like, you know, this isn't my core business. Mm -hmm. um, and I say, hey, whoever else wants to do them, great. That's a, that's awesome. But in the same way that these other, you know, producers are finding success, that's pretty much the model that I follow as it relates to evaluating what's going to fit and what isn't. Mm -hmm. So take a movie like um, Girl's Trip, which I believe Will Packer produced. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, you know, yeah. we talked about it a lot on the show. We're big fans. Um, and one of the things that stood out to me about that movie is how crude it is in many ways, in ways we've never seen women, black women, able to do before and in a big budget movie like this. But at the same time, there's very clearly, there's strains of, of, of faith throughout the movie there's a there's a scene specifically where they are they're praying uh together um and like before they go to bed and they're praying to god is 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 that something you could see yourself producing something that both can be very profane and very sort of out there but then also has those strains of of, of faith and, and uplift in them you know i think the girls trip you know was a fantastic um addition to will packer's brand and what he's doing so I would that that to me is like that is a Will Packer movie and a man who has had some tremendous success and a good friend of mine. And I, you know, when I look at him and what he's been able to do, it's it's awesome. You know, my goal is, you know, the business that I have and the business that I'm building, you know, more is, is more of this core inspirational, you know, faith based business. So my my hope, uh, you know, is that I will continue to make movies that can be as successful as Girls Trip. Uh, but Girls Trip in and of itself is not the type of film that fits exactly with what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, one of the things you mentioned in the book also is you you set this the scene of when you <clears throat> were first throwing out. You were eighteen, and you got your first opportunity to work for or to intern with uh, Benny Medina, Medina's company. Um, and you met with the general manager during your interview, and you answered you know you answered the questions pretty much the way she'd want to. You said you wanted to make change um, and, and be influential. But then she asked you, like, what is the, is there anything else that you need me to know? And you say, you, 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 you mentioned in the book that you paused and you, you thought, well, should I mention this? I don't know. You, you thought, you thought to God, like, should I mention this? And you said, I 
can't I don't work from you know Friday sundown. I observe the sab- Sabbath from Friday Sunday down mm-hmm. to Saturday sundown, and you you know she was understanding, and you were surprised about that. She you know she said we can work around that. But my question to you is, have there been any times when you felt as though your faith was a hindrance in Hollywood or or you felt as though you were either penalized for it or judged by it? Because, it, I mean, there I think Hollywood, there are still very many people like you who are very um, religious, spiritual, um, but they they don't always show it um, or it's not so obvious. And I'm curious if you've experienced any sort of bias within the industry. No, I, I have not experienced, um, you know, any bias um, to the degree where it's impacted my progress. Mm. Uh, and that's, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book, uh, you know, The Hollywood Commandments. And that's one of the reasons why I like to talk and, and help people is because, you know, Hollywood is, is an interesting place because it's it's very, for all of its challenges, and certainly has a, it has a long way to go in terms of fully embracing uh, you know, diversity and, and, and the like. Um, but for with that being said, it's a very welcoming place in you can have no relationships, but if you come in, if you're talented, you do good work and you commit to the process, uh, everything is possible. And so for even for me, you know, as a person of faith, you know, been a Christian pretty much my whole life and coming to Hollywood and owning that, that became a part of what made me different, what made me distinctive. And so that difference actually stands out and creates more opportunity because so many people, you know, in, in the business and I think outside the business sometimes have a chat. It's hard to harness that difference. It's hard to embrace it. Um, and so what I have found is that, you know, whether people agree with my point of view or, or my religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs or not, that became secondary. You know, it really became about me doing the work. And then it's like, oh, well, this this guy, oh, wow, he observed Sabbath. That's interesting. Mm. Wow, well, where does that come from? And how do you do that? And, 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 and so it really has been more of a conversation starter. It's helped me create the, the, the brand that I'm growing and what I'm known for. So, no, I, I have not experienced um, any holdbacks as it relates to, you know, owning what I believe. Mm. It's interesting that you you note that you it, it made you different and that difference worked for you. Uh, it does seem like there's in very much an untapped market for uh, faith-based audiences. I came across a article in which you were quoted in from last year in the New York Times that was all about these different PR firms that are actually sort of secretly trying to um, take films that are mainstream but then directly you know, serve them to get get faith-based audiences interested who wouldn't normally go <clears throat> to the movie and see them. Mm-hmm. So something like The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio, that was touted by PR a PR firm that was directly hired to do this as a, not just this, you know, action-adventure movie, mm-hmm. but a sort of spiritual, spiritual quest. You also had something like Hidden Figures uh, that was, you know, I think... I think it very directly for me, I remember seeing the movie and I was like, oh, I, I feel like every old black lady, black church, church lady will love this movie. And I think I think they did wind up loving it. Um, but it's interesting that they they seem to be so secretive. The The New York Times article actually pointed out that a lot of the people they they reached out to for the story didn't want to talk about it. And I'm just curious if you think that 
are we moving towards a, a, a place where this won't have to be done so secretly? Obviously, you are very open about it, but it, it, it seems like a lot of people in the industry and maybe they happen to be white. I feel like within black Hollywood, it's way more acceptable to be mm-hmm. open about it mm-hmm. than it is in, in the white part of Hollywood. But do you think we're mm-hmm. moving to in the direction where the faith-based audience is going to be an even bigger part of what marketing uh, strategies need to look at? Well, yeah, but I, I think on on that particular, um, you know, article in that particular thing, most marketers are, no matter what type of marketing or publicity you're doing, are not going to talk about in the press their marketing strategies, who they're targeting and how they're doing it. Yeah, that's true. So I, I don't think that was a reflection of anything specific to the faith-based market, I think that was just a reflection of if you call any, you know, movie marketer and start to ask them about, you know, their standard practices, they're they're not going to comment mm-hmm. um, because the last thing that they want to do is to be in the press revealing how they do what they do. Um, because not only will it, you know, it impact their competitive advantage, it may also um, inhibit certain business they want to get from other studios because studios will be like, wait, you were in the, you know, you're in the New York Times talking about what you're doing for us. We didn't, we don't like that. Um, and so when you actually are on the receiving end of that marketing, there's nothing, um, there's nothing covert or, si- or, or, or secretive about it. And what I mean by that is if, you know, if you're in the church groups, if you're in the community, you know, where these movies are being marketed, that, that is a very open process. Um, having been to a number of churches and having seen other films marketed and been to other conferences in the faith-based space, uh, it's very, you know, um, clear that uh, there are certain films that are being marketed to that audience. So I think that that article may have uh, tried to paint a story in a certain way that, in my experience, isn't necessarily the reality. Um, you know, and I, like, for example, I mean, I have a, a deal with 20th Century Fox uh, to make films and to make, you know, um, uplifting content for a faith-based audience. Because they get it. They get the vision. And there's so many people in town in Hollywood that get it. So I I think that the goal, you know, for me is to continue to make even more films that can build. I think we're at the very beginning of what these movies can do. And and there's a real desire on the audience's standpoint to have more uh, and to have higher quality. So my goal is to help, you know, bridge the gap and uh, and fill that gap, too. Yeah, it's interesting because even the, all of that makes makes sense to me. And actually, I've I've report I've attempted to report on, on marketing before in film. And you're right. It, it is very <laughs> difficult to get them to <laughs> reveal their secrets. Right. Uh, um, but it's interesting because I, there does still seem to be this very clear divide between a movie like Miracles from Heaven that is is very specifically marketed to faith-based audiences and is more or less conceived as that. And something like The Blind Side, which is another movie they mentioned in that article, which is, you know, way more sort of blurs that line and blurs that gap. But to me, it just it was interesting. I'm I myself am an atheist. And but like reading your book, I realized that like pretty much everything you say, with the exception of the parts about God, are pretty you know, I've, I've, it's, it's not, it makes sense to me. Like it's new, not news to me that everything makes sense. Like you have to work hard. You have to be okay. Right. You, you have that, um, 
the the chapter about you have to carry a crown before you wear one. Before you wear one. Right. Yeah, which which I thought was like all great advice, especially for m- people in my generation and younger who think, you know, you can automatically get success without having to, <laughs> to like pay your right. dues first. Um, right. But, it, but it, I just I do I do find it very fascinating that like we can there there just does seem to be I think there's bias against faith-based movies and, and movies that could have that spiritual identity when really in so many movies, I feel like most movies, uh, especially American movies, have some sort of religious uh, mm-hmm. contingent to them. And it, I just mm-hmm. found that very fascinating. Yeah, no, I, I think it is fascinating for sure. And I, But I, I think that, you know, it's like when you go back I mean, to Miracles from Heaven in, in Blindside, it, it, you have to go back to the story. Like I, not, neither one to me was more religious or faith than the other. You just got to go back to the actual people that the story is based on. And and with Blindside, you know, John Lee Hancock and uh, Gil Netter and and Al Khan did a fantastic job of just telling that story and telling that family story. And when we did Miracles in Heaven, it was a very similar thing. We're not going into it. You know, saying, hey, let's impose ideas on their story. It's like, no, this is actually was the story of the beams. This is what they experienced. And we dramatize that. And, um, you know, with the marketing of that film, you know, we certainly marketed, uh, as did Blindside to a degree, you know, to the faith audience as well as to, you know, the mainstream audience. And I think that's how we were able to be as successful as we were on Miracles. And my next film, The Star, you know, is a story of the nativity, but from the animal's point of view. And it's animated. And, you know, we have Tyler Perry and Oprah and Anthony Anderson and Tracy Morgan, Gina Rodriguez, Kristen Chenoweth, Kelly Clarkson. And we have an all-star cast. Because I do think that that these films, um, that there is hope, that there is a need for more type of content like this. And I do believe that there is a way to strike the balance. And I think where I see the, the most bias is is not on the moviegoer side. It's not even on the Hollywood side. It's just in the media sometimes because the media sometimes, you know, for whatever reason, um, what I have noticed is that when they're writing about these films or in these areas, there's there's sometimes a negative slant. Um, without giving that particular film or that piece of content, it's just due. Um, so to me, that is the area that I think we can, uh, I want to see, you know, more uh, deferential treatment, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But I, I believe that Hollywood is very much embracing the audience and the audience is definitely uh, embracing Hollywood. Yeah, I think one of the most common <laughs> cliche uh, phrases that I see in those types of reviews uh, for those types of movies is, quote-unquote, preaching to the choir, which just seems so uh, on the nose and can mean a lot of different things, but I can I can see how it can be interpreted as feeling, uh, being a little, um, what's the word? Uh, looking down on on the, the genre in the same way that chick flicks, that, like, even that phrase is very much like a derogatory <laughs> term. But you know what's so funny about that? It's like, if, if, if uh, when you go to a horror film, are there scares? I would hope so. There we go. So, <laughs> so, so, so it's like nobody says, "Oh, you know, you're giving the audience too many scares." <laughs> it doesn't. It, may, it doesn't even make sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, if you go to a comedy, you better laugh. You know. Yes. So if you're going to, you know, a faith-based film or an inspirational film, you know, you better cry. You better, you know, it'll make you think about life. Better think about God. That's that's the design of genre. It's not specific to this these type of films. 
films. That's just the design of of genres. And when you are in that genre and people are coming for that, it's 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 no different. And and that to me is is something that I I want to see change um, because again, you know, it's like oh, you know, well, it's preaching to the choir. Okay, okay, let's just say that's the case for certain films. But that's exactly what films are designed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if these other, if these genre films don't give the people that that love the genre what they want, then <laughs> these films aren't going to be around because the audience is not going to be satisfied. Right. Right. Yeah. No. That. Yes. <laughs> that all makes sense, and I agree that you know I think we should all just admit our biases. Sometimes those movies just aren't for us, and that's what it is. You know, that's. Right. It is. <laughs> right. But I think part of it is like it's like if you're not a horror fan, still being able to appreciate what a good what what makes a good horror film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that is is the area that that I would like to see change where it's like there isn't yet an appreciation for what makes a good, you know, quote unquote, faith based slash inspirational film. Now, I have a couple more questions. I can't let you go before, of course, talking about your wife, Megan Good. <laughs> yeah. When Devon and I reconnected on Jumping the Broom, I remember thinking, like, wow, that's the kind of guy I wish I could marry. He's so amazing. And I was looking at her like, that's Megan Good. Not a chance. We're, we're all very big fans of hers. Oh, wow. Thank you. <sighs> I am, too. Well, I would hope you're a fan of, of her. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but um, you you know, you both have talked a lot about your relationship and, and your relationship with God together. And one of the things I think she as an actress and especially as a black woman in Hollywood faces like many different challenges that I think you or any anyone who's working in a different realm of, of Hollywood would face. And I imagine her challenges, she can be challenged in different ways by her faith as an actress. Are there ways in which you support each other over these separate challenges you, you might face with things like this regarding your faith in, in Hollywood? You know, I mean, we're, we're supportive. Uh, shoot. I mean, it's <laughs> 360. I mean, uh, with everything. And, and, uh, you know, when it comes to Hollywood, uh, that, that certainly is no exception. Um, so, you know, I mean, we, we talk about the projects we're going to do, uh, you know, things I'm considering, things she's considering. Um, you know, we both are very supportive of the things that we both want to pursue and feel led to, to take on. Yeah. I, you mentioned in your book also that she's supposed to be starring in a Foxy, Foxy Brown version of the, the, the movie, the TV, but a TV version, correct? That's right. That's right. Yeah. We're doing a TV show with, uh, with Hulu. Ah, that's exciting. Uh, Do you have any like word on when that might be happening? Like when should we expect to see it? Listen, we're chasing Hulu down. So Ah. Hulu's listening. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We, we. We, we got a good script with MGM and uh, Malcolm Spellman and uh, um, uh, Ben did an awesome, awesome job, um, you know, with the script. And so we're just waiting to get the word from Hulu as to, uh, you know, Ben Watkins. Sorry about that, Ben. Um, waiting to get the word from Hulu as to, you know, when we're moving forward and how we're moving forward. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'm uh, also right on. I am too. <laughs> I'm also curious about the Cooley High remake you are working on with uh, Common. Yes. Now, Cooley High is one of my favorite movies. Why remake it? You know, because uh, Chicago has changed so much, hmm. and I do think that there is a new story to tell through that story of Cooley High. 
And the goal is to, you know, really, because also when you look at this generation, you know, this generation doesn't have their boys in the hoods, their menace societies, um, you know, their films that really kind of speak to what's going on. And, you know, our thought and our hope was that by redoing Cooley High, not only could we reintroduce it to a new generation, but we could also use it as a vehicle to kind of really show people now, you know, what, you know, young urban youth are going through, yet even in the midst of those challenges, there's still tremendous hope. And that was our ambition, and that's our intention for why we wanted to do it and uh, what we hope it will do once it's done. Cool. Well, <clears throat> I'm glad to hear that it's it's still going to be set in Chicago. Um, oh, yeah. Cause, yeah, because, you know, sometimes we do these remakes, and then we completely turn them all around. And I think Chicago actually, especially now, is a perfect perfect place to keep exploring those themes. Yeah. Mm. I agree. I totally agree. And um, I really feel like, you know, that is an area and a market that we have not yet. um, We haven't really shown the truth of Chicago on film in a way that people can really get what it's like and and what it feels like. So our hope is that Cooley can do that. Mm -hmm. So my final question for you is, what is the last thing you saw uh, on film or or film or TV? And you weren't directly involved with it in any way. You weren't producing or you weren't in it. Uh, where you felt as though you saw yourself on screen. You felt represented. You felt as though you could identify with that character or that that script or that movie. Do you remember the last time you, you saw something like that? That I could identify with? Mm-hmm. Wow. Not that I can think of offhand. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. No, there's not. Yeah. Not that I can say, oh, yeah, you know, that movie... That movie recently, no, I can't, no, no, I can't think of a recent movie uh, that I can say, oh, yeah, that that uh, that spoke to me. Okay, if not recently, can you think of the first thing you saw that made you feel as though you could see yourself? Um, you know, The Color Purple, I love that movie, that really spoke to me, and Rocky, you know, definitely Rocky, you know, Rocky just, you know, having these dreams and believing in himself, but, but uh you know, not sure if it was really going to happen. And, uh, and you know, even some instances he felt like he was a bum, you know. And I just I just remember watching that film and as a kid and even watching it later and just relating to, like, you know, having those dreams and wanting to, to do something significant but um, being uncertain if, uh, if it's going to happen. So I really, really, I mean, Rocky is, that's why to, the, to this day, Rocky is one of my favorite uh, film franchises and uh, The Color Purple, you know, is one of my favorite films. Because it just it just shows that through anything, any adversity, you can uh, you can make it through. Wow, thank you. Both of those, I, I asked this question to all my guests, and not, I don't think, definitely not Rocky, but I don't think Color Purple has ever come up either. <laughs> so wow, yeah, wow, oh, yes, Color Purple. I know, right? I mean, come on, <laughs> come on, come on, so good. <laughs> Until you do right by me, everything you think about is going to crumble. Don't do it, Miss C. Well, it's been a pleasure, Devon, to have you on. Oh, likewise. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, looking forward to Cooley High and the Foxy Brown series. Hopefully Hulu gets on it. Yep, the book is out now. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to stay busy. Awesome. Love it. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. 
And that's all. Represent is produced by the lovely, amazing Verlyn Williams. Our excellent social media assistant is Marissa Martinelli. And our intro-outro music is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. And just a quick reminder, we're going to be at Sundance in just a couple of weeks with a live show alongside the Culture Gap Fest. You can find tickets on our show page. We'll put a link to that there. And we're looking forward to seeing you all there. Until next time. <laughs>